HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box, a platform that connects restaurants with people. Learn more at getbento.com slash opening soon. That is G-E-T-B-E-N-T-O dot com forward slash opening soon. This is Jenny Goodman. And I'm Alex McCreary. And we are the hosts of Opening Soon on Heritage Radio Network. We listen to HRN and are actually guests on several shows before bringing our own show to this network. And it's been so amazing to see and hear the unparalleled content that comes from our community, even with limited financial resources. HRN's been making food radio for 10 years. HRN staff and hosts make it look really easy, but making the best food radio out there is actually really hard work. We're super excited to be a part of Heritage Radio Network, and we invite you to join us in making sure that in our second decade, HRN is stronger than ever. So become a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate right now. You can even show your support by selecting opening soon in the designation drop-down menu. Thanks for listening to HRN. Welcome to Opening Soon on Heritage Radio Network. We are your hosts. I am Jenny Goodman. And I am Alex McCreary. And if you're just tuning in, this is our first season and we're on our 10th episode. So I know we're getting there. (laughs) Um, So Opening Soon is a show all about the business of opening restaurants. And we're talking to industry leaders and chefs and restaurateurs and entrepreneurs who will help take your idea to Opening Soon. Yep. And so again, if this is your first time, you want to have a little background on why we're here. Basically, um, the business of opening restaurants didn't go so well for Jenny and I. Uh, We opened and closed one in six months. Um, We've been fortunate that uh, (laughs) the business of making clothes has been much better to us. And through that, we've met a lot of great people that have built their businesses and opened their restaurants. And um, we wanted to be able to take the knowledge that they have gained and share it with anyone out there that is getting ready to start their own project. So today we're joined with Ariel Ars and uh, Jordan Salcedo. And before we jump into our interview with them, we want to do a quick uh, wrap-up of our last episode, which was with um, uh, Nikki and Josh from Russ and Daughters, and they were talking with us about brand, uh, what, a, what could be a better uh, 
brand than, than Russ and Daughters to, to share info on. With only 105 years of experience yeah. under their belts. They've done fairly well. <laughs> um, number one was basically to take a step back in order to gain perspective. And um, I like to look at it as working on your business rather than in your business, which is often hard because there's so many things to do in your business, but it's important to take a step out and focus on what your business is. And another point that they had, it was interesting because they took over the business in 2009, and then they didn't really expand the business, um, their fourth generation owners, until 2014 because they put a lot of legwork into modernizing the behind the scenes. So one of their like key points was if you're going to modernize a business, make sure that the inner workings um, are, are there before you expand the brand. Number three was to build things to last and to think about the long term. And Nikki had a pretty funny comment uh, on this was uh, that uh, Russ and Daughters, they don't plan for the next 10 years. They plan for the next 100. So if you can think that way, you can really change how your business and your brand is going to sustain itself. It was, it was like, go back and listen to that episode because it's like one of my favorite comments because she was like, we're Russ and Daughters. We do things for 100 years. I was like, oh, <laughs> damn. <laughs> um, so it was kind of fun. Um, the next piece was the number four takeaway was understanding the essential elements of your brand. So they really, you know, talked about as they expanded, it wasn't like, hey, let's just copy what the original store was, but really let's think about like, what does rust smell like? What does it taste like? And how do we pull those pieces so that there's a common through line? And the last one was that businesses have a soul and your employees should understand that. Um, I think more than understand that they should be able to convey that. So um, the same way we do at Tillit is to, you know, understanding why we founded our business, you know, what we're doing to improve the, the work workforce um, and really having your employees kind of as you grow, your employees are the ones that are going to have to show that to your audience. Um, so that was last week. Let's move on to this week. And today we're talking all about building out a beverage program uh, that can, one, wow your guests, but also to drive sales. And it's, uh, your beverage program is just as important, oftentimes can be more important to your bottom line uh, as your food and, and the, your service. And so whether you're a natural wines or intricate cocktails or mocktails, which we may talk a little bit about later, uh, the right program can really drive revenue for your business. Yeah. And Jordan's here shaking her head. Yes. Um, since I think she's put some of those pieces in place. So today um, we will be joined by two amazing beverage professionals. We have Ariel Ars, who is running a few minutes behind, but she's going to slip in when she's here. She's the owner of Tokyo Record Bar, Air Champagne Lounge, Niche and Niche, and Special Club. And then in the booth with us is the wonderful Jordan Salcido, who is the founder of Ramona, which is an organic canned wine spritzer that you've probably seen all over your Instagram feed. Um, it's delicious, and it embodies wine without rules. But prior to founding Ramona, Jordan had an amazing career at some of the best restaurants in the world, including EMP. And then she was the beverage director at Mama Fu where she won awards for the program that she created at Co. So we're so happy that you're here. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so welcome. happy to be here. Congratulations welcome. on opening soon. Oh, thank you. We're moving and cruising and it's people like you, <laughs> I can't wait to talk to you because Jordan has such a wealth of experience and just, you know, before at lunch we were talking a little bit about like when you came into Mama Fuko. So tell us, you know, about your experience at Mamo and what that looked like when you walked in and then sort of walked out. Yeah. So I think Mamo was such a fun moment uh, for me and my experience because it was sort of the, the first 
time that Dave had wanted to invest in a wine and beverage program in a really big way. Um, so his his mandate was, hey, you already understand the rules now, go and break them. Make me a you know a wine program that people are going to want to come to and and help us build a wine culture. Because I think he had had this light bulb moment where he realized that there is very much a wine culture as there is a chef culture or a food culture where you have collectors and sommeliers and, and people really want to come out and support and show up for one another. So if you invest in that, then you sort of tap into this entirely new world. Um, so we just did a couple things right away. We sort of got rid of regular size bottles at Noodle Bar. And we did it, we called it Biggie Small. So we, the thought was, okay, if you're at Noodle Bar, you're in a hurry. So let's give you the best glass of wine you can have in a Magnum, which is fun and which is sort of delicious and great for lots of reasons. Or you're going to have an amazing half bottle that we're going to get from a collector on consignment and mark up basically cost plus 25 bucks. So you can either have an insane bottle of wine that you should never be able to drink for this price or a delicious glass from a Magnum. From Ma Pesh, we switched things up as well. We had sort of the 56 selections. of Anyway, yeah, we, we, we just really tried to tailor the approach of every list towards the philosophy and the place of each. Yeah, of so each every location. list really makes, like, sense for, like, time and place, right? Yeah. So, like, Mama Cuckoo Noodle Bar, it's a noodle bar, you're there for 45 minutes, which is why, like, the buy the glass really makes sense. And then, yeah, and so and at Mama, before you guys, before you came in and did this, really it was, like, focused on, like, beer and like that was it right yeah and I think there had been a little bit in, of investment along the way but yeah. I, I don't think Dave had ever had sort of an, a beverage director to oversee all of the U.S. restaurants and have a cohesive sort of philosophy behind them and then Co was really Co was when we moved Co that was the the most challenging but also the most rewarding because that was when Dave said, okay, you have every resource available. Make me a great wine program. I don't care what it costs. Yeah. So we, How know, fun was that was, when money isn't an issue? Not often the case. Not often the case. No, it's amazing. And so it's sort of like, all right, what do you do? You take a philosophy that matches with the restaurant. So we right. we decided to, uh, what did we do for that? We just sort of took this lineage approach where you have you know chef culture because Dave is such a strong personality and a lot of the dishes on the menu were ones that he and Sean had created based on dishes that Dave or Sean had had somewhere else in another great restaurant. So sort of said, all right, if you're going to, you know, do that with the menu on this tasting menu, we should do the same thing with wine. So you sort of can see the same similar lineage where you look at, say, Anselm Solos, who really is credited with like the grower champagne movement. And then you look at his background. Why did he why did he have this philosophy? Well, he went to Burgundy and he worked with Domaine's Lafon, Lafleve, and Cocherie and got this entirely new perspective, brought it back to Champagne and started implementing it. And just the way in which we all share knowledge, I think it's more and more prevalent today more than ever because of Instagram, because of, yeah, we have access to information that, right, that we, we didn't, didn't have, have before. Yeah, which is interesting too. So it's I was just going to say, speaking of champagne, Ariel, let's get with us now. So hey. Welcome. Welcome. Hi. Yeah, so how... and. So you really, Ariel's here. She has champagne, air champagne lounge. So you've doubled down on champagne in some ways. Yes. What was that? How did like where? How did that come about? What was the decision making there when you were um, sort of like this is the moment? Yeah, 
this is the moment. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I had kind of been working uh, all o- like all over and basically felt like I was a master of none, um, mm-hmm. but was kind of amassing knowledge about all sorts of different things, spirits, hospitality, food, wine. Um, and champagne was an enigma for me and something that I kind of just fell down the rabbit hole with. And um, I think as a person who feels like I'm my own customer, I've always thought about why is champagne something that's really hard for us to break into in the U.S. market unless we're a certain type of consumer with a certain amount of expendable income. Um, And so Ayers was my very first opportunity to really kind of explore that my way. Um, And our model is like based around the fact that you should be able to enjoy luxuries and I built that business for a very moderate amount of money so that I could offer champagne at a one-time markup, um, which was very important to me because the barrier to entry was kind of brought down and mm-hmm. and you were able to kind of offer these wines to people that had never experienced them before. Yeah. So, sorry. No, yeah. No, I mean, it's interesting because what I was going to say is that you sort of both, you know, we talked, we had lunch with Jordan a little bit before, you know, we started recording. And you guys both sort of talked about, she also mentioned creative pricing, which I think pricing is really important. So there's like, you know, traditionally it's like a two times markup, right? For most bottles for pricing, but there's more creative ways to do pricing strategy. So I'd love your like thoughts on that. And I think it depends on, of course, the restaurant and, and really like, I think it's so great when you own your own restaurant group because then you can determine that or when you have a boss that gives you that kind of autonomy because you know at some places it's no the markup on a bottle of wine is 4x right um but I think that was something that I really loved learning and took away from working at 11 Madison Park where where we decided you know or John Reagan decided which was something that I adopted and implemented in every program that I ran where you reward creativity or you incentivize people to maybe try something that that is not just you know the rosé on the list or the sancerre or you know that's you can at least in any program I've written those are the glasses that tend to get marked up a little bit higher because because people don't care what they're paying for them they just want the sancerre they want the rosé whereas somebody who maybe is a little bit more curious would be open to trying a great glass of red burgundy or champagne or something that they might not be willing to try normally if you just had this sort of blanketed markup strategy. Right. But if you can create an opportunity or an incentive for people to get outside their comfort zone or try something that they might not, that's that's the joy of the restaurant is you're this you're this place where you get to create an experience for anyone walking in your door. And you've seen that work. Like if you price something like, you know, that should be more expensive, but a little bit lower and people will drink and try and love and then like engage with other, with other things. And then you make up the margin on other, like more common. For sure. Especially when you have an education system implemented in your team where you, like they understand that this is a bottle that should be 400 bucks on a wine list or 250 or whatever it is, but that, you know, you have the, the, they have the opportunity to tell you about this glass that should be more expensive or that, that they've tried and have fallen in love with. Right. I think that's another part of the conversation is just making sure you're investing the resources in educating Training. the team and yeah, getting them sure. as excited as you are. And what about like for you, like what pricing strategies have you seen to like, I think more than anything, the concept needs to dictate the model. So, yeah. you know, every place it's funny, people will talk to me about my pricing structure or how do you make money, you know, right. like those because they're so confused 
because they're looking at it from a very traditional perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that's the kind of the fun of creating something is that you get to look at what is traditional and then look outside of it and say, well, how does that work for me? And, you know, you can start with that foundation of, okay, well, if a, a three-time markup is standard, but I want to do a, a one-time markup, how do I make the difference, right? Because at the end of the day, the only thing you're actually selling is the physical product. Mm-hmm. You don't sell the labor. You don't sell the glassware. You don't sell anything else other than that particular product, and that's where you make your money. So you have to find that proper product mix, right. but it doesn't have to be a traditional way of looking at it. Um, and a lot of my spaces have been considered unique because I think we do something that's unusual where the money is normally made from the beverage and we actually make our money from our food for most of the interesting like, for in most of the places at all four yeah because the... we do like predominantly family style okay um, and when you do something for a larger amount of people that you know who's walking in the door you can prepare and you don't have any waste and you don't have to deal with product that sits around whereas like wine can sit around like right. that's not something that I really need to like you know a huge part of why there's a multiple time markup is because you're paying for rent, you're paying for electricity, you're paying for labor, you're paying for time. Mm -hmm. And when you have a product that actually is shelf stable, that's the thing that like, I'd rather not put my investment into. I'd rather put like that investment into the food. That's the thing that needs to go. Right. Um, So we've changed a lot of, you know, our formats around and evolved those formats because the goal was always I want my wine to be as cheap as possible. Interesting. And let me tell you from a, like a psychological perspective, that doesn't always work. You know, some people want to <laughs> yeah. spend money. Some people don't think that this, if I held one bottle in front of them, that on one wine list is going to be priced $400 and I put it in front of them on my wine list and it's $200, they think it's inferior. Right. So wine is one of those things where like the price, like, the price does drive what people perceive to be the quality. So that's been, so it's like a reverse education for yes. you. Um, Interesting. Well, not like at niche niche, it's so smart because everyone's eating the same meal. So you're and drinking not, the same wine, drinking the same wine. So there's not the, the food cost that would exist if you're doing, you know, a multi-course tasting course, menu right. with the option of a la carte with the, you know, like these sort of more complete, like a, like a Danielle. I remember when I worked there, it was like the menu opened up and it was like six different pages. And oh yeah, that uh, terrifies me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I, I think that restaurants are the biggest possible risk that you can do. Yeah, and sure. if you can kind of, Uh, universalize that experience in a way that also humanizes it you stand a good chance of creating for me community is the most important so like we are able to develop a community through the places that we do because of the structure of the restaurant which is also based around a pricing structure so everything is interconnected and very much thought through um it wasn't just like, I want my wine to be cheap. It was right. like... It was like, I'm going to drive sales with food. So tell us a little bit, because niche niche is a, is like a very interesting and different concept. So can you tell, tell just in case our audience isn't familiar, yeah, for sure. um, a little bit about it and how that program works? And So niche niche started out of the desire to create a wine bar, but knowing full well that if Ariel RC was going to open a wine bar, that wasn't going to be anything to write home about because... I specialize in champagne. Right. I specialize in creating a good environment, but like 
I haven't dedicated my life the way Jordan has to studying and knowing the diversity of wine, but I'm a lover of it. And I have the access to the people that do know those things. And the idea behind Niche Niche was let's create a wine space that is community driven by the best of the best of the best and then find a way to offer those wines that these people would never normally get as a consumer on a buy the glass list or even probably order by the bottle because they'd be too expensive or out of the price point of maybe what they were comfortable with and let's put that in a dinner party environment um and Every night of the week, the wine list changes. It's curated by a different person from the beverage community. They come in, they pick four wines, and we set a price standard that, like, you have to spend on average around this much per bottle so that our guests are actually tasting incredible wines. It's the model is built very specifically where I don't make any more or less. Right. I want it to be at this stable point because then every time that you come in, you know that there's a level of standard. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is very important in a restaurant environment that your customer trusts you. Because if you walk into something and you have no clue what you're going to eat or drink, like there has to be a level of quality and trust that you have with us. And that, again, comes back to driving a community where people are feeling really comfortable. They're feeling really good. They want to be open and share. Yeah. Um, so and that's the, the foundation. And you price that the same. So it's like it's always it's 40, 40 bucks. Do, it's 40 bucks for, for the wine wines. and 40 bucks for the food. Yeah. And this, like I remember the I get to do the opening. Yeah. Jordan was with us like a night one total cluster mess. <laughs> she was, was like a goddess. First, Jordan was number one. <laughs> she was. It was so fun. And that's then a I, testament to like your skill too. Well, the, the thing that was so fun was everything. And one thing. Did you guys know wines. that? Like how I knew like, that she, how wonderful. I, I didn't know that you were the first. I, I knew that you had curated a, one of the the like nights, but I didn't realize you were like the original. I, I she was OG, mommy OG number one. I know she was OG. Night. How long does Which, each person go? Uh, it's it's one night. One night only. That's one night only. I mean, we definitely want to reprise some people. Which was <laughs> she's like hint, hint, <laughs> wink, wink. There's some winking going on, Jordan. You're booked next week, date, FYI. We're working on a date. But I remember also because uh, I was like, hey, Ariel, I want to bring on these other wines. Can I go out of budget if I? bring them myself and she was like yeah totally so then if you also give this sort of agency to the people who are coming on and there's nothing more fun than working somewhere for one night where you, you show up <laughs> yeah you are you're like so i brought the excited. big guns yeah, no, yeah. it's just so it's so smart <laughs> as a concept because every single person who shows up is so happy to be there because it's like you're running a dinner party that you didn't have to organize that you didn't have to do yeah. next time that you do one and you bring the big guns i don't want to be pregnant so yeah you wait for like <laughs> another month <laughs> so i can drink the wine um Ariel, do, you think, do you think there's ways to incorporate um your model into a traditional restaurant or do you think it's like a a complete model change altogether? I think that these particular ones work because of the structure that we've put together. I don't think that like you can have a champagne bar with a one-time markup and a pretty like very low margin on your food um, and not have something like Tokyo Record Bar underneath it that we can kind of product mix together. Right. Um, that is like my support. I remember when we opened Airs, it was like, it doesn't matter how much money that place ever made. Like, 
it was still always going to need another element to support it. And that's how the model was created. So, and just so again, for like our listeners, Tokyo Record Bar is a tasting menu. And it's and then that's a more traditional model where you have more traditional markups or not really. Nah. No. So, and that, but that's where you make the money on the food is from yeah. Tokyo. So Tokyo is 50 bucks for dinner. It's a seven course tasting menu. That's and then, still cheap for And you're food. making the money on that. That's crazy. That's yeah. great. Yeah, because, you know, we cook for 22 people two to three times a night. Depends, you know, we do two services or three services. And Thursday, you guys are Friday, a book solid. I, I know that from yeah. asking in the We've past. tried to go. I'll, I'll email you later for some bait. You guys know. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it's uh, it's been kind of incredible because, like, Ayers was the risk. Ayers was the dream. And it was the thing that I was the most insecure about. And I made a lot of sacrifices and compromises to open that business. And I think it actually probably didn't work in its best interest because Ayers didn't open with a one-time markup. It opened with like a two-time markup, which was still like incredibly generous. And about six months in, like we were doing good business. Like I didn't have to change anything, but I kind of looked at it and was just like, I'm not achieving my goal, which is I want to sell more champagne than anybody else. And I want to sell the best. And it's still not going to happen unless I can get price to not be a factor. So we changed the pricing structure. And after that, it was kind of just like done deal. We like re like I, we, I remember we closed for four, 48 hours and my dad and I and like two other employees came in and just ripped it apart and like reorganized it and then opened with a new wine list with the prices being lowered and yeah it just like it that hit and then like with Tokyo like I created Tokyo for my friends like I didn't expect anyone to show for it it's like a 300 square foot yeah, room in a basement and like New you Yorkers know, love that shit though they're like put me in the basement <laughs> make right. me wait in yeah. line it's I like, will sign up easy. yeah it's also like, like oh, the ceiling water. is covered in pink flowers yeah. and you can like put your own record on the track there's there's more to it there's than just yes, there's yeah. there's I mean for me to say like I didn't think through it all like okay it's not really giving myself any credit but I didn't expect it to hit yeah. because nothing I had ever done before ever hit they were works in progress and so Tokyo has been like booked solid since day one two years ago and we've been able to develop the food program there and we've been able to develop the sake program there which yeah. again like that's another element of our business is sake which is really important to us yeah and um yeah it, it gave me the confidence to be like okay I'm doing something where people are connecting to this model it's at a price point that I could probably charge more money for it but if I did I don't I want to be in business for a long time right I'd rather make my money over 10 years than make it in two and then close and just thinking about this so I've always like now I own my own business and I make my own rules and that's so freeing but when I was running wine programs it was always in context of as an employee for someone else and I think this is just such a testament to if you can own your own business then you do get to write these rules and you do get to rewrite the model and you get to rethink how you do everything and I think that's such a I mean it's it's a testament the the spaces and the success of them is all such a testament to you obviously but also to your being willing to take the risk and and write your own rules based on a model that you wanted to work a certain way because I think right. that's you can always rewrite the rules but if you don't still make money you can't stand you can't. yeah <laughs> exactly doesn't matter exactly. what rules you came up with yeah so. for sure yeah. I mean I think yeah. all four of us in this room have kind of had the 
the pleasure of owning something and feeling totally right. in control. But then, of course, you have the other side of it, which is like what it means to, to own and operate all these businesses and question every day yeah. right. if the decisions that you're making are going to work. And it's really, really hard to stay connected and committed to that when they're just yours. Yeah. And like, you know, I don't have a team of partners or like, I don't, I don't have any people to really sound off. And, and someone was asking me like, what is the success of your business? It's the people that I've been lucky enough that work, I work with because none of this could happen yeah. unless they like believed. That's always a totally. common theme on this show, by the way, is like every business owner, we are thankful for our employees. Oh, hundred yeah. percent. Right. Without a team that believes and that trusts and yeah. that like can pull you back to reality or that can brainstorm and help yeah. you go a different direction. And your customers too, because again, it's like yeah. a lot of these things that we're talking about are also driven by like what the, like the consumers are willing to try the more creative mm-hmm. one at a lower price or, you know, come and have show up for the champagne at a mm-hmm. one-time markup. Um, We have to take a super quick break to hear from our friends at Bento Box, but we'll come back with more. Austin, Texas is home to a crowded food scene, especially when it comes to tacos. Carlos and his cousin Mauricio knew that if they wanted to stand out, they would have to get inventive. They started Rosarito as a food truck in 2014 after touring through Southern California and Mexico, learning the craft that has earned them acclaim. Rosarito now has two food trucks serving up some of Austin's favorite Baja-style tacos. Bento Box connected Rosarito with people by designing a new website with an online catering store and a weekly schedule on where to find them. Rosarito is one of 4,000 restaurants that's powered by Bento. Visit getbento.com slash opening soon to learn more. They could hear our bones slamming against the pit of the ravine. And we jumped into the Grand Canyon in winter, throwing glitter and on as if it was a swimming pool filled to its brim. All right, welcome back. Uh, again, we're talking with Jordan Salcido and Ariel Arce. Uh, about beverage and how to incorporate it into your restaurant. And um, a little bit earlier, uh, Jordan, we were chatting about, um, you know, how do you, if you're a restaurant entrepreneur, budding restaurant entrepreneur, and maybe your focus is in the back as a chef, and you don't have a partner that is you or that is Ariel, how is it possible to get a program off the ground? I know that, you know, Ariel, one of your concepts is solely based on people coming in and, and creating the program for the night. So how do you how do you recommend that? Right, because we, we were talking about sort of the consultant question. Right. Like, can right. you can you have somebody who's maybe not full time come over? And and I I would say that's just an investment question, and and that comes from whoever is making the decisions, whoever has the autonomy to choose what kind of beverage program they want. Um, it probably is possible to have a successful beverage program with a consultant, but I've not seen it work. Um, Ariel shaking her head. <laughs> yeah. For the, yeah. I'm like, yeah. 
That's, yeah. that's the optimism. Yeah. No, like, be honest. Maybe, maybe, this is about being right. honest well, with our audience. No, because, because the thing is like you get, you're, you know, you're only as valued. You're, you're placing money where you're placing value. So right. whoever's made the decision at the top to not hire a full-time person and invest in the opportunity to build a team and have a real program is right. phoning it in. They're right. Saying, you're saying it's not that important to the brand. Yeah. To have. There's, so, yeah. But, they're but they're doing a, it optically. Right. right. So that's okay if that's your, if that's your business model. But if, if driving beverage sales is important, basically the key point is to and, invest in and I would say, on the team. Yes. And I would say like back, you know, yes, we're talking about sales, but I, the, in all of my experience, and I wonder what Ariel's is, but you, you can't have high beverage sales without some kind of a beverage culture. Right. Unless you're right. a it's state, not just sales, yeah. it's culture. That's right, a right. And yeah. so you're not going to have any sort of beverage culture if you don't have somebody who's leading that culture. Of course. Uh, which, right, which is an investment of time and, and resources. Right, because we also talked about like the training and I'm sure like, you know, in your past experience, you did tons of training when you were at EMP and when you were at MAMO and... I'm sure with yes. you, it's a ton of training as well to like impart that beverage culture. And it's like, we all need, in fact, I've heard this more now. It used to be, we needed to hear something three times before we could learn it. And now, now it's because like of, seven, I think. Yes. Instantaneous. I feel that though. Yes. I do you too. have to see seven posts before you remember anything. Yes. I know. <laughs> and so think of how many times you have to hear about that wine by the glass or, you know, have a reference with a winemaker, whatever it is. Like you need so much repetition in order to have any sort of um, real understanding of, of, of something that you're supposed to then go and talk about and be excited about. And so, um, yeah, that, that requires time. That requires, yeah, it's, it's, I remember fighting at Co for like pre-service airtime. <laughs> it was like, hey, we're supposed to have, we're supposed to meet these wine sales. We have this beverage pairing. We need to make sure that everyone understands what the beverages are, especially if the dishes change every night, then the beverages are changing too. We just, we have to have time to educate. And if you don't have that, you're not investing in it. You can't possibly expect anyone. That's not the thing that they're going to need to know, I guess, to talk about. Like they can sort of skirt their way around it and sell a glass of Sancerre instead. Yeah, yeah, you, you really have to to make that investment if you care about that culture and those sales in the long haul. I would also say that like, if you are opening a business where you don't know anything about this product that you want to sell, then maybe that's not exactly the ethos of the business that you're trying to create. And I really fundamentally believe in flexibility, Mm -hmm. which I think like, you know, there's only so much that you can do when you open a place, which is like, hey, I'm an incredible chef and like, I'm going to open a restaurant that is all about my food. That is the culture, right? Right. Or like, I'm an amazing beverage professional and I want to open a place that's around this, right? But if you're somewhere in the middle and you're kind of figuring out what your business is, which I don't think is always a bad thing, like having some time for flexibility, especially when you're first opening to see how like your customer perceives you and like what they want and what they're asking for is also another element because like, we're not talking about opening a three Michelin star restaurant here. Like we're probably talking about opening a bar or you're opening a restaurant concept or something. And the fact is, is you shouldn't put a ton of money into something until you kind of know why you're doing it. And I've like consulted on people's programs before and like put together wine programs and they've given me a food menu and like, 
I know the demographic of the neighborhood and I know the other restaurants in the neighborhood. And like, I put together something for them being like, this is what makes sense here. But you know, as Jordan said, if you don't have another person there leading the charge, there's only so much like that can actually be done. And eventually like your customer is either, either we're going to have done a great job and all those people are going to be able to sell all that stuff. But the fact is, is like, you're a new restaurant. You're probably going to lose half of those people. Like yeah. new people are going to come in. Someone's going to start buying these wines. They're going to like something else that's cheaper. They're going to put that on. Like all of a sudden that program's gone and you just spent money on me that like maybe wasn't worth it. Right. So if you're going to be chef focused, just be chef focused well, like, basically. And yeah. Well, like back to the, con- like I've consulted as well. And like, I'm only so invested in the, yeah. you know, you sort of like you allocate X amount of hours and that's, that's what you have to, right. to go to the, but I think to your point, it's so depends on the kind of program you're trying to build. Yeah, it's about creating the culture you want to have. And I would say it's more important to invest in the people that you hire. Like, my biggest mistakes have been just hiring people because they needed humans rather than hiring the right people. And when you own a business, especially if it's a certain size, like, put, like, learn how to do everything yourself and, like, save the money and, like, make just understand this is going to be your life for a little while and then you can bring in the right people and a lot of the people that I brought in were people who like had their own specialties and like those are the people that you're like do you want to try putting together a beverage program because you're here and you love this and why not like feel a connection to this business through something that you're a part of rather than outsourcing that to a person who like, again, you know, like we have no real investment in here. So that's, I mean, for people who are opening a restaurant and you don't necessarily have a beverage like professional on your team, don't spend the money on consulting essentially is like part of the advice and either get somebody on your team who is a beverage professional or just know that that's not going to be a major revenue stream or a major like part of your restaurant culture, which is fine too, I think. I guess, I mean, that's that's a question that I would ask you guys. Do you think it is fine? I mean, I feel like, you know, to have, you know, to have a fully rounded restaurant concept or whatever it is, whether it's fast casual or, you know, super high-end fine dining, I feel like it needs to have, everybody goes to the table and orders a plate and orders a drink, whether it's, But I think right? like a fast casual restaurant, I think it, it so depends on the purpose of the of the restaurant. If you're building a three Michelin star restaurant or a wine focused restaurant, if you're part of your identity is wine, you have to invest in a wine culture. But if it isn't, if it's just a fast casual concept that has good wine or, you know, we stand behind our ingredients, it's a perfect place to use a consultant. Like if, if, yeah, yeah, a hamburger shack that has the best of everything it probably has three wines by the glass and you do not need a wine <laughs> professional of course right. right right to a certain degree and it's also a perfect place for canned wines which it is, is a good place for canned wines <laughs> segue segue into Ramona yeah plug for for Ramona but it is true I mean that's you know an interesting thing that you're seeing too is like there all are there are alternatives to you know having these like huge robust lists and I think you wanted to ask a question about like the volume I think volume is is you know, questionable. It's it's concerning. I th- I think for someone who doesn't know wine really well to go into a restaurant and like the table hits, the book hits the table and you're like <laughs> and the forks shake. You're kind of like, <laughs> where do I even start on this thing? And and then another thing in that question, if you could, you talked a little bit about making that list a little bit less daunting in a more creative way. And I, 
I think that was really interesting. If you want to expand on that a little bit. Like oh, yeah. Like, yeah. like at Co. And Mob Hash. With the yeah. photos, yeah. Hash, yeah. So I think that was, I mean, and again, this was a number of years ago. This was 2013, so six years ago. And I feel like that was the moment where I had sort of, you know, dined out in enough places with enough sort of Bible-sized wine books. And that, and, and the culture, I think, was beginning to shift. And that was something that, you know, I knew we wanted to shift at Momofuku. We wanted a serious wine program, but not the kind of experience where you have one wine person at the table who's sort of you know, out of the conversation for 20 minutes as they peruse. So, yeah, I think visuals, for me, I've always been a visual learner and I've always enjoyed a visual element. Uh, so with Mapesh, we put in, um, I think we got permission to use it. It was like a whole back and forth, but we put in these images from Drops of God. So don't just go lifting things off the internet. You could get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did, did you know about our bathroom at Ayers, though? I saw it. How yeah, funny that, is that? I know, I know. Wow, okay, yeah, but this world. was back in 2013. And so we, um, yeah, there, I mean, so for anyone who doesn't know, Drops of God is a Japanese manga series about wine. And it's, you know, it goes, I think there are 10 volumes. And you have the same you It's the, same the wallpaper. wallpaper. Yeah, it's hilarious. That's hilarious. <laughs> Great minds in the booth tonight or <laughs> today or thinking alike. I love it. I love that. Well, and it was just this sort of conversation point. And that for me is what wine has always been. is like a way to connect people, a way to sort of connect with people you might not otherwise connect with. And it's this great connective tissue. Um, so that was what, that was like the sort of our visual element for the Mopesh list. And then at Co, we just put photographs of winemakers that we were sort of featuring. So it was very producer focused uh, because by the time I wrote Co's list, I think, you know, people have different philosophies. Like it's all about vintage or it's about vineyard or region or whatever. But I think, I mean, I've certainly found this to be true. It's you're buying into a value system and a philosophy of someone, whether it's an artist or a, um, in the case of a bottle of wine, a, a winemaker. And um, yeah, so sort of the why behind how does a great bottle of wine become a great bottle of wine and who's who's making it and and why what's their philosophy and value system so sort of who are the people behind these bottles and that was it was just a very easy way to sort of not have a paragraph of information and just say what we wanted to say with a photo and yeah at airs we've done something not exactly the same but with the fact that you're dealing with wines that people don't know a lot about we kind of turned it into like an educational booklet so Mm -hmm people can actually take them away and have information about the wines from like a a foundational standpoint. Mm -hmm. So that just in case, again, always coming back to this idea that we want to sell as much champagne as possible. We want to inspire people to drink champagne that like they have this little roadmap when they leave of what is a Blanc de Blanc? What's a Blanc de Noir? What's Brut? What's Champagne? Like, where does it come from? Like, and just those little elements that you can do to kind of give back to your community of drinkers so that I always say wine's a long con. Like we start start this like relationship from the beginning and you see the fabric of who we are and you get our culture. And if it's right for you, then we start building that relationship because at the end of the day, like Jordan will tell you the same thing. You know, there's only so many people that can afford to dine at the restaurants that Jordan has worked at, but they probably have a pretty strong retention because the point there is to give this incredible dining experience that people want to come back for. And so you create those relationships through the service, through the food, through the beverage program. And it's the same thing in a fast, casual environment, but I think that that doesn't, that doesn't get across 
as often yeah. because people think, oh, well, I'm just coming here and I'm going to spend this much money and have this kind of experience. And they don't really connect to the place. And yeah. my business is 100% based on my return customers and developing that relationship with them. And that all starts with all the materials and the information and how much education you're willing to give to your guest as yeah. well. I mean, I think we all live and die by repeat customers, and that's the same with mm, our business. Sure. And, you know, I think whatever kind of, that's what everybody wants to create. All right, let's segue into some lightning round questions because we're starting to get tight on time. But I feel like we could talk about if we need another show for that. We could talk <laughs> we more about part two. One, I'm going to take over the audience question before we move on. Oh, okay. Um, I'm recently sober in the oh, last yeah. year and Alex a half. Alex is and our audience. Jenny's obviously pregnant at the moment. Well, ob- not obviously because you're on radio. So <laughs> but for the, see her giant I'm belly. giving birth in three weeks. give away in <laughs> three weeks. She's um, How do you guys feel about like mocktails and the, and the increasing, I think, sobriety in, in the industry and, and how, you know, I am, for one, I'm a huge advocate because I want something fancy and expensive when everyone yeah, else is having like something. He'll pay like $18 for a mocktail. Do you, you know? do you, have you ever... Incorporated them into menus. Do you have anything at Airs or at any of the other spots? Um, so I don't really think that what we're most known for <laughs> is our obviously not. Right. <laughs> right. Um, I do like all I can say is is that like I don't sell liquor and haven't sold liquor in any of my places. So right. most of what we do is low ABV because we do a lot of like sake and so base drinks. Um, but you know I think. And this is just my personal opinion. Like, if I'm thinking about the health of what I'm putting into my body, like, a lot of times what mocktail programs become is just, like, sugar syrups with soda. Yeah. And, like, that's not interesting to me, and I'm probably sure that's not that interesting to you either. So I've been places where, like, they do basically, like, juice-based or, like, tea or, like, alternative beverages and, like, that kind of stuff is very mind-blowing to me. But, like, just finding another form of revenue where I'm giving you, a, like, a subpar product is not something that I want to do. So I'd rather just have, like, awesome sparkling waters for you. But I, <laughs> it's not like you're, you really want that mocktail. So don't so tone it in. No, it's okay. He's, yeah. he's a, he's a uh, sparkling water Where's the best one that you got, wow, though? What's, What's your best mocktail that you've had? Like, where was it? Crown Chai had really good mocktails recently. Sorry to answer. Crown Chai did have a great one. I think uh, Co had some good ones. Mm-hmm. Uchu has some amazing ones oh, as well. Yeah. Who's that? Uchu's amazing. Uchu, okay. yeah. With former chef from Brooklyn Fair, Sam. And I'm not oh. remembering his last name, but he's incredibly talented in the the bar there is super special um but it's super interesting i'm just back from ireland and sweden and there are huge like ireland i never would have thought of as a place where non-alcoholic cocktails are on the rise <laughs> um, non-alcoholic beverages i know it's, right it's, it's a global trend and i think it's who knows where it's coming from maybe it's like now weed. that there's instagram weed. it's coming yeah, from but, weed. That's yeah that's, that's probably yeah. true too uh, yeah but even before like cbd is not in ireland no way. no i just mean like um people are smoking people are weed. smoking more yeah and so like, like not and drinking as much doing alternative yeah. forms of substance yeah. rather than alcoholic substance which is totally well this movement is part of it too it, yeah you know but yeah but I did, so did Ireland in Ireland. is a place to go for yeah. so had, a quality well, yeah, <laughs> alternative cocktail. Like in, and I didn't, you know, there are not like CBD-laced cocktails in 
Sweden that I saw, but it was like I was shocked at how much this is definitely a global shift. Yeah, um, and I yeah I I personally drink far less than I used to. I mean now I drink a lot of spritzes and make a canned organic one, so right. <laughs> <laughs> something I, I spend a lot of time consuming. But um, yeah, I, I think it's I also think it is probably tied to Instagram and our. Um, our new culture of sort of being visible constantly. Like you look yeah. at, like it used to be f- sort of fine in the early Facebook days, you know, you'd have like these photos, sloppy photos of like, <laughs> you know, everyone's sort of shit faced. And yeah, that's so true. Yeah, like and red face. It's like, like that's definitely yeah. not cool no. anymore. Yeah. That's so funny. All right. Cool. So don't phone in indulging. your mocktail program. Mm-hmm. Basically, if you're going to do it, do it right. I like that. All right. I think that's for everything. But that, yeah. Yeah, that, is, that was a common thing time. today, yeah. for sure. Don't phone it in. How you do anything is how you do everything. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right, so let's do some lightning round. This is just meant to be like one to two words um, off the top of your head. What is one word that describes how you feel about being your own boss? Freedom. Lucky. Lucky, yeah. What about your number of days off in your first year in business? Oh, there's never. I know. I mean, there's. It's a trick question, but like, That's a trick question. Um, no, you're always thinking about it. Ramona's about four years old now. Ramona is. Let's see. Like it's existed in real life. Like our real first batch is a year and a half old. A year and a half. But it, but oh, we did a test batch two and a half years ago. Right. And it was conceived on maternity leave. It was con- <laughs> which was three and a half years ago. That's why I was like four. Yeah. 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 What about you? Um, my, like. How many will you have? No, I mean, how many, how many did I have? Personal have, experience. Yeah. My personal experience, if you really want to know the nitty gritty, gritty of it, was my mother passed away the first year of my business. Oy. And I actually just left and like didn't show up for a little while. And when I say like the people of my business are the reason why like I'm successful, it, they stepped up to the plate and thrived in my absence. So I actually did have some time and I don't think that that's normal and I was just very lucky to have those people but um how long were you away I was gone you know like I would show up but I wasn't myself for like two and a half months like Mm. six months in that's impressive um and then came back the people you surrounded yourself with yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely and I came back and like I didn't have a job like everyone was <laughs> You're doing like, my work. So like you hired yourself. That's the goal. That's that why I have the goal. businesses in two years because I was just like, I need it. Now I live in now. How many days off? Do you yeah. Now, now I have zero. <laughs> now you have zero. Now you have zero, four really. businesses. Look, she has four yeah. businesses now. Well, that's, that's a question. That's not true. Like, yeah. I took off this weekend. Yeah. yeah. But you're that's never, you're never person, off yeah. right. with our phones. You're never. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Ever. And I think that's the beauty. Like you get into a different mind space and then you can think creatively and maybe solve a problem that you couldn't have come up with if you're sitting you in your normal You have to workspace. give yourself You have to. Boundaries. We're firm believers in giving ourselves time off. Balance yeah. is yeah, important. Balance. Yeah, balance. All right. Uh, you are a world-renowned traveling speaker on the power of a well-crafted beverage program. Give us your one-line motivational quote or your book title. Jordan, you look ready. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Her eyes are wide open. Like, what did you? Why did you? <laughs> why did you just ask me that? One line motivational. Oh, we're, we're writing motivational books. Yeah. For the new, what about the, the name of the book, book I'm actually writing? There we go. Oh, there yeah. it is. What is it? What is it? Uh, well, it's called Pop Bottles, oh. but 
the world of champagne and sparkling wine. That's okay. awesome. Cool. Oh, I do simply. not have a title when, for the book I've actually read. When are we putting that? When uh, fall 2020. Nice. And you have one in, in the works as well, I George? do, but it's not that far along. We don't wow. have a title yet. Congrats. <laughs> All right. We're crushing it in the box today. In the box. Um, all right, let's move on to some opening soon announcements. We like to shout out friends um, who are opening soon. Anybody come to mind? Mm. Mm, or have recently opened? Could be there. Well, Jordan, we really don't go out. Do I know. I have no friends. <laughs> this is what happens to apparently. business owners is that you don't well, go anywhere else. I mean... Special Club just opened. Special, Special Club did Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Jordan. You're welcome. <laughs> Ariel's fourth baby. Like, uh, fourth uh, restaurant. Um, I went to Waela, which is... Oh, we're going... The Thai restaurant in where Birds and Bubbles used to be, which I used to... No. Oh, no, we're going to... How was it? Wyon. Yeah. It was awesome. Amazing. Amazing. I love... Sp- like any form of spicy That's supposed to be good. So. I'm excited Great. for that. Criff Dogs is going to reopen. Oh, really? Yeah, but I don't know how much I'm allowed to say about that. Oh. So just keep an ear open for Criff Dogs right. in a new and exciting way, along with PDT. Do we know where? In the same space, in the but same it's going to be like better quality everything. On St. Mark's. On St. Mark's. Cool. Yeah. Um, Paloma from the Scampi Crew, which is PJ Calapa's restaurant, just opened in Bryant Park. Um, and the other one we have is Black Lamb, which is in Boston, and it's mm-hmm. from the same people who do Shore Leave and Barmazana. They have, like, it's their third restaurant. I love Barmazana. Cool. Yeah, Barmazana is so good. So if you're in the Boston area, that's our tip. Okay. Um, and then just one other shout out if you, for our listeners, if you are interested in more wine knowledge, there is a show on Heritage Radio Network called The Grape Nation. So it's a great resource there as well. Yep. Sam Ben Ruby. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Sam Ben Ruby. He's hosting Niche Niche next week. Yeah. All no, right. Sure. August. Look at that. Early in July. I know. Three he weeks. He so loves wine. Oh, yeah. Yes. So it's a great resource for people. Awesome. Um, and yeah. is the... In the drink, Joe Campanelli. Still? Yeah, and I think there's <coughs> another. Is it in the drink? Um, there's one. There is definitely Matt? another liquor. Matt, are you there? What's the other liquor show? Oh, what about? Uh, um, well, the speakeasy. The speakeasy. That's what I'm thinking. Yep. And, and yeah, and and in the Dave drink, Arnold. And that's it. And then Dave. Oh, and natural, natural disasters is uh, natural wine. Oh, is that Marissa? That's Marissa's new show. Yeah, Marissa Ross and Adam. Right, and she was at Bone App. So yep. yeah, so there's lots of wine shows and content on lots Heritage Radio Network. Yep. Um, next week, tune in as we chat about PR and building a media presence. We'll have Sue Chan of Care of Chan and Jordana Rothman, the restaurant editor at large at Food and Wine. Ooh, when uh, is that? I want to. It's next in. Tuesday, two p.m. And then it'll be, yeah, it'll be really fun. I'm super excited. To, so tuning in for that one. Yeah, to chat with Jordana and Sue. So. Special thanks again to you guys, Ariel and Jordan. Um, if you're Sharpie dried out, we've got your back. You can check our blog on tillitnyc.com to catch our wrap up of key points from the show this week. Uh, where do we find you guys? Where do we find you on social? All those good things. At Jordan Salcido and at Drink Ramona are the main ones. And where can people buy Ramona? Oh, people can buy in U.S. wide yeah, or in, okay. uh, everywhere. Wherever. All right. So um, Fresh Direct delivers Ramona in New York City. Uh, Parcel, if you go to Parcel, I think ParcelWine.com can ship anywhere. Verve can ship anywhere. And Whole Foods, we're also in Whole Foods. Yes, Ooh. they are. Whole and Foods, congrats. Sprouts as of the spring as well. And you're on premise and in stadiums and all sorts of yeah, places. So look some, for that Yeah, can. City Field. If you're at City Field, go have a can of Ramona. Cool. Thank you the plug <laughs> um, and I'm at RC Cool uh, and then you can find any of the businesses kind of at their names so Air Champagne Tokyo Record Bar Special Club NYC and Niche Niche NYC 
Cool. And yeah. they can make reservations for all these on the website? Everything through Resi. Everything yeah, or the Resi. websites. Follow The Journey on Heritage Radio. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere else you get your podcast. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at We Are Opening Soon and at TillitNYC. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.